These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. We had some good at-bats. Um, couldn't get couldn't get much going uh, and, and then put some runs on the board uh, as that game went on. And uh, uh, other than that, I mean, everywhere you look, uh, there are positive things to say. Our guys pitched great. Jay Happ did a fantastic job. Bullpen, uh, great. Um, some plays in the field, you know, J.D., Polo, some others. Uh, it was oh, just wow. a very, very nice uh, ball game and a good ball game. When you stay at it like that and you're able to come back and, and get a nice win, it does feel good. Polo. Polo. Are we, polo. is that, is that the thing for Polanco? So. Pol, polo? Yeah. And d- did you hear the Andrelton Simmons one last night? Simba? Simba. Simba. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, uh, that yeah. One. I think that goes back. Yeah. Even, okay. That goes back I didn't know that one. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. Simba yeah. and Polo. Polo. He's always called him Polo. Okay. I don't, that goes I, back I, a few I, years for him. Really? He, I feel like I've, he almost is never he the only one that says Polo? Polo? Okay. Uh, I don't know if other people do, but he has said Polo for almost the whole time he's been here, and he almost never calls him Jorge Polanco. <laughs> or, or just like Jorge, Polanco. Polo. Oh, God. Polo, Polo, Polo and Simba. Oh, hey, God, gentlemen, dude. we played that game last night in 223. Yeah. That's the that's the miracle last yeah. night. I almost brought so I tears. didn't watch any of that game last night, and I thought, oh, they must have started this game like an hour earlier than usual. What happened here? No, it's just a two-hour old-school well-paced baseball game. I tweeted, it was an honor of Jim Cott being in the ballpark, but they finally <laughs> paid homage to Jim Cott and got it done in, in old school, a very 1974-223. So uh, welcome in to the Friday edition of Mackie and Judd here, daily Minnesota sports entertainment. And this is a Feedback Friday, boys, where we take all of your comments, listeners, the viewers of the Score North YouTube channel, we take all of your comments, questions, we filter out the ones that uh, that we would like to answer on Fridays. Sometimes it's people criticizing us. Sometimes it's people wanting to start a, a fight about Miguel Sano. And other times it's just lavish praise that we feel like we uh-huh. need to inject into our egos. Um, so if you, want, if, if you ever want us to discuss something on a Friday, just hit us up. You can hit us all up on Twitter, Instagram, or the uh, Score North YouTube comment section. Can I start out, too? This isn't really like Feedback Friday, but uh, a, a tip of the cap. To Eric Perkins, Perk at Play, announcing he's leaving Care 11 after 25 years. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, uh, I remember, like, this is going to make him feel old, but as a kid, and Declan probably mm-hmm. really grew up with Perk oh, yeah. at Play, but, um, like, I remember him in the mid-late 90s doing all those wacky fun, like, he was doing the athlete challenges, you know, yep. 20 years before it was cool, and uh, carved out an awesome brand for himself. So hopefully he pops up somewhere, but that's a 25-year legendary local Minnesota media career. So a tip of the cap to to Perk at play. In TV, that, that's impressive, too. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. a uh, – like, we, we've we had some very good sportscasters in this market who have lasted a long time. But in that business, you don't exactly just walk in the door and walk out 25 years after that as your own call. So, yeah, good for him. That's awesome. Yep. Um, so I don't know. He's I, I was I was DMing with him a little bit last night, just saying. So what's next? Like you got to have something, right? And he I think he legitimately just he like he doesn't know yet. And he'll uh, he said this in a video too, but I'm sure he'll pop up somewhere. So uh, all right, first question or comment here from this is from the Scorn Earth YouTube channel. Neil Baker. We did a lot of Timberwolf stuff this week. A lot of reckless speculation. How can they get Ben Simmons without necessarily giving up one of their big three pieces? And Neil Baker says D'Lo needs to go ASAP. D'Lo is 100% expendable. When you guys hear 
the negative slander from Neil Baker against D'Lo. Um, what do you think? Well, I think, can you, could you trade him in the right deal? Absolutely, yes. 100% expendable needs to go? I don't know. I, I thought when when they actually had the core of what they want for the team next season together at the end of this past year, and Cat was playing, D'Lo came back from his knee surgery or procedure and was playing, and Ant was playing. I thought there were some good signs there. So 100% expendable to me is, let me see here. I got to think hard to think here. Miguel Sano, he would be 100% expendable. Uh, hit a bomb yesterday. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. And he almost hit two. Wasn't it exciting against the Detroit Tigers? I, I was there. I couldn't believe it. Man, he's turned around. But anyway, so back negative. to D'Lo. D'Lo, um, I, I would get saying in the right deal that he can go. Okay, I, uh, but 100% expendable, yeah. I didn't like what we saw uh, for a portion at the start of last year, but that was pre-Chris uh, Finch taking over for Ryan Saunders. And I guess I'm not nearly as down on D'Angelo Russell as this person is. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I disagree here. Like, I've been down on D'Lo, and I was for sure down on D'Lo when Cat was out because I think you know D'Lo was being paid like – one of the two leaders of this team. And when the Wolves are just getting their doors blown off by 25 points every night, when it's, it's, it's D'Lo and supporting cast. Yeah, they're not going to be as good because Cat's out and Ant's still a rookie. Mm-hmm. This is like, you know, two, three months into the season. I didn't love the way that they were just getting completely run out of arenas when it was him and a supporting cast. Was it the great supporting cast that the Suns have right now? No. So, like, there's a lot of other reasons for why they're getting blown out but um there's been times where i've been very down on him but to say he needs to go asap and then he's 100 percent expendable let me give you this so and and a lot of this is thanks to uh chris finch and the position that he was putting these guys in when cat delo and ant were on the floor together last year which wasn't a ton but we got to see it quite a bit in the last month of the season the wolves were plus five points per 100 possessions on their opponents so they were they were a winning basketball team when those three guys are on the court and it'll only get better because you know there's a lot still to be gelled and now they can finally have off-season workouts and a full training camp not this like a rushed lead up with a rookie who's coming in for the first time so um Dilo was a really good offensive player he had his best three-point shooting season last year he can pass he's willing to play on ball off ball and so uh, I'm curious to see him now if if something presented itself and it was like well, you can get this guy. I mean, this isn't going to happen, but like you can get Damian Lillard and you have to give up D'Lo. All right, cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. but that's not going to happen. The Ben Simmons thing's interesting because I think the best possible scenario is if you can get him and keep D'Lo and, and Cat. I also think there's a case to be made that it's an upgrade to go from D'Lo to Ben Simmons, but we could fight about that all day. But but the words expendable and needs to go ASAP are, I think, just wrong here from mm-hmm. our friend Neil. Um, T setter chimes in here on the score North YouTube channel. Love Judd's double standard for wild and wolves leadership. You're gonna have to defend yourself here for Ian Cole and the culture setters, quote unquote, for the wild, but screw someone who is important to a young superstar talent like Anthony Edwards talking about Ricky Rubio. Yep. Yep. This is actually a great point. And I've thought the same thing. And I'm glad the question was asked. And oh. I'll tell you why, though. Okay, no, no, but, criticism. Yeah. no, no, it, no, I've thought the same exact thing as I've said it. And I have until now 
on the show, never fully explain myself. So I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much to this question. The difference is this. The Wild was a bunch of mentally weak, younger players who needed someone to come in and right the ship. Plus, I contend hockey locker room culture is more important. So, but but I think the most important thing is think about how weak the Wild were and think about how easily they folded and mentally they just didn't have, like that whole group. Let me go through it. Coyle, Granlund, um, Nito. Let's keep going. Nito Ryder. Yeah. That whole gr- group was very mentally weak and they didn't get the leadership from the veterans that was necessary. And therefore, which Bill Guerin saw this too, and I think so did Paul Fenton, they came in and said, We've got to change this. And in fact, we have to bring in people who can lead. So that's the wild. Here's why I feel different about the wolves. And I might be proven wrong, but I think we'd all agree about what I'm about to say. And I think I'm right. Anthony Edwards right now is a leader. Like he get, and I get that Ricky was important and I'm not, I am not denigrating that one bit, but I have the confidence in Ant that he's not mentally weak. And that if, if, and, Getting a year of Ricky was fantastic. That helped. But I don't think moving on from him now is going to be detrimental to who Ant is. I mean, Ant was literally, and I know people will will laugh, but I think this stuff is important. He was literally coming to his Zoom press conferences and bringing a teammate to yuck it up and joke around on Zoom. Like, that's taking control at a level a lot of people can't. Like, they're not confident enough. So my double standard is based on this my confidence in Ant and his ability. And by the way, the Wolves, I don't see the Wolves. I I don't think Ricky turned things around for a bunch of Wolves players where I think Cole and Benino set a tone for an entire roster, which is important. I think Rubio helped Ant, but I don't think it's like Cat looked at Ricky and said, oh, this is the way I now see the path and the light. So my double standard is based on the individuals and how mentally strong or weak I think they are. Yeah, I hear you. I think um I think I think you know 17 million dollars for essentially uh you know a glorified assistant coach and a backup guard is a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Like Ricky Rubio, I if 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 Ricky Rubio made five if he made the mid-level exception or something. I don't know. If he made 5 million dollars, it'd be great. Bring him in now. I I don't know how well he plays and and the numbers bared this out for sure in the beginning of the season. Like him and Delo just didn't work together on the court. And we played that Britt Robson rant from Dane Moore's <laughs> podcast. Like it just doesn't, it's not a great basketball fit, but you know, I do buy into when you're molding a young team, you do need guys like Rubio or in the case of the wild, you do need guys like Cole and Benino. Those guys are important, but there's a salary cap and your main goal is to get the most talented players in that fit on the court. So, you know, if, if it, it's an expiring $17 million contract, there's a lot of teams. That's the thing that, you know, in baseball, those contracts are you have to literally attach something to that contract to get rid of it. Right? If the Twins want to trade Josh Donaldson, like they're not going to get much in return. It's going to be about who eats the money. In the NBA, because you're looking to, it's not often that you just have a bunch of cap space. When you trade for an expiring, I'm going to over-explain this because I think a lot of people are like, well, why would that be a why would Rubio be valuable? Mm-hmm. It's not Rubio. Teams are looking to acquire a $17 million chunk of money that comes off their books and opens up room for them to sign better free agents or to, to trade for a player and absorb a contract without having to match salaries, right? So 
Um, I think you know maybe his value was hey in Ant's rookie year you're going to be attached to that guy and you're going to teach him, teach him a million things and guess what I'm sure they have each other's phone numbers now and even if Rubio plays for another team uh, you know Ant can send him a text and say hey I got a question about this thing and Rubio's a nice guy you know he'll probably respond mm-hmm. and you know give Ant a little encouragement so yeah like. I'm not paying $17 million for someone who's just there to put an arm around Anthony Edwards. And I, think, I agree with you. Ant, Ant doesn't need like that type right. of coddling going forward. Right. And I think Ant in year, year two is going to be, and this is a positive, a dominant personality type. Like, I think he's going to be the guy who leads teammates. And so, yeah, I just, if, if this, if this was Wiggins, if Wiggins had had a, a rookie season like Ant did, but had his personality, I might be more hesitant to trade Ricky then because I'd be like, how is this going to work out when when the guy is not there to help him? But I don't have that concern at all with Ant. I loved off the court and and from a standpoint of a guy who took charge, I loved what I saw. I thought it it was great. And if Ricky helped that, awesome. But yeah, Ant's not going to fall apart now if if, uh, the Wolves, you know, trade him to Philadelphia. Ricky, that is. Uh, this next one is a, is a Twins question, and all of our talking Twins discussions on this show have been powered throughout the year by our friends at Dennis Kirk and DennisKirk.com. I can tell you, the player that we're about to talk about, we've been trying to ride him out of town, just like just like a Harley or a, a Cruiser. We're just trying to just just why don't you ride off into the sunset here, okay? Well, if uh, if you're into riding season, we are well into it here in July. Dennis Kirk's got everything you need, parts, accessories, clothing, helmets, 160,000 things that you can sift through at DennisKirk.com. If you order by 8 p.m., they ship the same day, and shipping is free for orders over $89. DennisKirk.com, when the open road calls, they ship today. So uh, I woke up this morning and started arguing with people on Twitter about Miguel Sano again. Cause that's <laughs> like what I like to do. Yep. Uh, he hit home run. He hit a home run yesterday. So all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, they all at come out of the woodworks. Oh look, it wasn't cousin. See? At least it wasn't Kirk. You were trying to debate no, that's, people on. No, tomorrow. I, I have tomorrow. The, the Kirk arguments are scheduled for tomorrow. So um, big baller twins responding to one of my Sano cr- uh, critiques from a couple weeks ago on Twitter, in which I pointed out he only has like three multi-hit games on the season, has like a 268 on base percentage. And, and he says, Sano is hitting since this tweet that Mackey sent out, this negative propaganda. Since this tweet, Sano is hitting 333 with an OPS over 1,000, and he's striking out just 21% of the time. Since the sticky stuff crackdown in baseball, breaking ball usage is getting lower. Fastball-hungry Sano now seeing more fastballs than ever the next three months could be big for him. So do you guys think Hold do you guys on. think Sano is going to turn a corner here officially now that the sticky stuff is gone? You have to save this entire thing and re- read it to Patrick Royce. He will go crazy. It will be great. He will flip because his whole thing is he can't hit a fastball. Um, no, I, this is, look, the the. 2021 twins have done almost everything wrong. Okay. I'll give them credit for that. I mean, they have screwed everything up, but the one thing that they've done right in the last month or so, and we talked about this more than a month ago, platooning Sano, cutting down on his at bats, cutting down on his playing time and basically acknowledging that his strength in life right now, as far as a baseball player goes 
is as a first baseman where he's got a pretty damn good glove. So no, this is a this is a byproduct of him not playing as much and running into pitches at times. And look, if he does, it goes a long way. It looks very cool. But no, I mean you're Phil, you but you're never the thing about this is with the with the uh Sano stands, you're never gonna win. But <laughs> you are correct. Uh, what are what do they say about the truce? Right, there's there's death, taxes, and uh-huh. blank. Right, those are the those are the three certainties. There's death, death, taxes, and then what? So death, taxes, and people wildly overreacting to a two and a half week hot stretch by Miguel Sano. Right, mm-hmm. we do this all the time, and and I think so. Pl- the word platoon here, I think I don't know if it's a hundred percent applicable because. He's actually pretty even throughout his career against lefties and righties. It's it, he, he's not one of those big, uh, you know, Max Kepler. You know, where there's some seasons where there's like a 200 point difference between his OPS lefties and righties, right? Or uh, you know, other hitters in Twins history. The platoon split for Sano, so to speak, is a velocity split. His OPS career wise against high velocity pitchers is like a hundred plus points lower than sort of middle and then finesse pitchers. And I'd have to go look and see. Like, I don't know if I, I, I haven't paid close enough attention to the pitchers that they are sitting him against. But my guess is they're putting him in situations against guys that don't throw 98 with a bunch of movement because he struggles. Most guys struggle, but he struggles more than most hitters against those type of pitchers. So, I mean, here's the reality. We can sit here and we can look at a two-week sample and overreact all we want. Over his last 1,200 plate appearances, going back four seasons, four seasons in his prime, by the way, he's been worth three wins above replacement. That's it. Byron Buxton has been worth three wins above replacement in the 40 games he's played this year or the 30 or whatever it's been. So he's just not like he's he's a he's a replace. He's a he's a one when he's when he's locked in that one dimension that he's great at. He's great at he can hit a ball 500 feet, right? (laughs) But he's a one-dimensional, streaky, non-multifaceted player. And and I would even argue he's okay at first base. He's not Doug Mankiewicz, JT well, Snow. Like there's there's a there's better defensive first baseman out there for sure than Miguel Sano. He tried to cut that throw on Tuesday and butchered it beyond belief. But he actually, as far as a glove man, there is pretty good. I, I mean, I thought he'd be awful, and he's not bad. But he's yeah, not a he, butcher. He's not a butcher. Yeah, but he uh, he is a guy who has definitely lost that job. Alex Kirilov is your first baseman in 2021 or 22, and I'm going to be surprised if Sano is on this team. I really think they're going to try and move on because he drives them crazy. The only weird thing is they, aside from when Cruz had the stiff neck and Snow had a DH a few times this past week, it's been a strict platoon and he's played against Southpaws and his splits, his splits actually the last time I checked were worse against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of a weird, like we're going to a platoon and this guy can't hit left-handers either. Yeah. Uh, Jake Klassen says, if you guys ever stop making videos, I'd be depressed. No pressure. Well, we'll, we'll keep making videos then. Thanks for watching us on the score YouTube channel. Uh, West B heard us talking about the Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols thing from earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And, uh, West, West B one Oh two says Stephen A. Smith makes $8 million a year. The most useless analyst in sports. I used to think (sighs) that. All right. Yeah. I used to think that I, I've never been a big Skip Bayless guy, but I used to kind of lump them both in the same category. Stephen A. Smith, if you get a chance, listen to Stephen A. Smith on the Kyle Brandt 10 Questions podcast from a couple months back. 
where it's like an hour of just talking about his career and his life. And dude, he first of all, he works his ass off. Secondly, he's an entertainer. And he's 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 got a persona. You know, watch him when they when they cut to him, you know, after a finals game, and it's like Scott Van Pelt's gonna go to Stephen A. Smith in the arena. And they show Stephen A. Smith on the screen. He does like the neck crack thing, like like he's an athlete, right? Stepping mm-hmm. into the arena. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've grown to appreciate the craft of of Stephen A. Smith and his hot takery. It's all him. entertainment. I love him, and I don't debate. For, and I don't debate for free. If, <laughs> I don't I don't debate debate for, for free. Debate for free. <laughs> if there is a comparison, and I you know TV has changed. Certainly, there's a lot of ways to consume media now. But if there's a comparison, he is today's Howard Cosell. He really is. He's got the same. I, I mean, they had different styles, but yet they had a same dominant style of yeah. They knew how they knew how to make you mad, and that's genius because um, that's hard to do to like know how to push buttons. They're good at it. Howard yeah, to- was great to- at it. Stephen A is good at it. Howard's way before the time of me and Declan, but yeah, like he was controversial, right? And he yeah. had opinions on things. Cadence. And I think what that's what I'm so excited mm-hmm. about hockey. And the hockey fans are like, I can't. Oh God, I'm not. I'm I'm not ready for Stephen A. Smith to talk about hockey. Stephen Dude, A. Smith, hilarious. Talking about hockey <laughs> is more beneficial than Liam McHugh, Brian Boucher, anyone you want to name oh, on yeah. the NBC. And God bless them. They're good at what they do on NBC. I'm not, I'm not saying that they were in, they're incompetent or they were bad at doing bad at marketing the job. Stephen it's A. Not, Smith. They're not, they're not fun though. They're, they're not, not fun. fun on it. Stephen A. Smith is going to take hockey, help take hockey to a next level. Yeah, I love, dude, it's I gonna love be it. great, and, and <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yeah, it's gonna be fantastic, and it's gonna be Phil's right too. It's gonna be fun. Like that's what it should be. It should be fun. Like people can break down the X's and O's and stuff, but what makes Stephen A. so fun is he'll say what he thinks, and he's not afraid to be wrong, and then say he's right. Eight million dollars a year is is a lot, but uh, it's amazing. Good for Stephen A. Smith. What's Greeny at six? I think five or six, yeah, probably something. something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and Greeny's just there to tee up former players and Mike Tannenbaum, basically. But he does a good he does a good job. Point guard, big Greeny fan, uh, friend of the show, friend Mike of the Greenberg. show. We are the executive producers of Get Up. Mm-hmm. Actually, Stephen A. was a friend of the show. show. Stephen A. is a friend. Well, of the I show. love how him at some point. he calls all of his producers a uh, hashtag, like hashtag Bubba, hashtag Hembo. Mm-hmm. Like he calls all of his producers on the show by a hashtag, and I I love it. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Old old man trying out yeah, uh, social though. media humor yeah. on TV. Yeah. So, all right, that's Feedback Friday here. Uh, if, if you, if you want to hit us up, you can hit us up in a, a multitude of different places. The Score North, comments, uh, Score North YouTube comment section. Uh, we're all on Twitter, Instagram. Actually, Declan and I are rocking TikTok lately, too. Score North TikTok channel and uh, the Score North app with a feedback link at the bottom. So if you want to give Set us your takes, TikTok. your thoughts. Oh, we are. We already put you. I think we put a video of you on TikTok we this week. The, your old okay. tweet yesterday, I put it on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're a TikTok star. You're a TikTok star. So, so if I send you, so Dex, if I send you a, a TikTok dance, can you post it on TikTok? Uh, well, I might post it all over the place just for, you know, enjoyment. Um, but it, 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 you have to, I, I have to see the dance moves. Like, what are we talking? Are we talking electric slide? Are we just talking... You know, talking uh, Cupid Shuffle. We're talking Judd moves. Judd moves. moves. Okay. I don't go, I don't dance by anyone's the standards. Su- the, the Summit Friday Night EPA Judd, Judd Zolgad special, whatever that consists of. Is that just going <laughs> to the fridge and coming right back? Is that is that the move? You never know. Never know. We'll have to see. It's spontaneous, Declan. Okay. Life is spontaneous. All right. Yeah. Send, send over your best line dance and we'll throw that up on TikTok. Oh, It'll be great. I hate line dance. Yeah. 
Uh, on the podcast only version of the show today, Rom-Com Rewind, My Best Friend's Wedding. So be sure to check that out, too. And people flying in from all okay, over okay, the world. Okay, okay, but aren't, aren't you working this weekend? I mean, is that responsible? Well, the, the Sox are at home, and sports letting me do a profile on the big herd, you know, Frank Thomas. Wait, what, what do you mean irresponsible? Taking off a weekend to get married? Jules, I'm scared. Maybe we should talk about this. I need you. If you can't come and hold my hand, I'll never get through this. Please come. Please. Oh, man, I can't wait. If you thought these guys spent every waking hour of their lives doing manly things like watching sports while yelling at their TVs, shaving with straight razors, and revving their V8 truck engines, well, yeah, think again. It's time for Mackie and Judd to turn in their man cars. This is Rom-Com Rewind. Obviously, this is very manly. Everything's so perfect. From the day I met Michael, all I've heard is Julianne this and Julianne that. I've never had a sister. Michael realizes he doesn't want creme brulee. He wants something else. What does he want? Jello. Jello? Why does he want Jello? Because he's comfortable with Jello. Jello makes him comfortable i realize compared to creme brulee it's jello but maybe that's what he needs i could be jello no. creme brulee can never be jello you could never be jello have to be jello you're never gonna be jello wow one of the great 90s movies really like this is one of the most iconic well, we'll determine later whether it's hmm. a great 90s movie, okay. but it's one of the most iconic yeah, 90s can... movies, okay. for sure. <laughs> okay. My Best Friend's Wedding, 1997. And boys, this likely all-too-deep review of a rom-com is presented by our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated brings risk management tools and resources and expertise to help your business. They tailor their services specifically to the needs of your business. You can find a full range and list of industries Federated protects at federatedinsurance.com. Over 100 years of guidance and experience. They're one of us based in Owatonna, Minnesota. So check them out at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. All right. I can already see the look on Judd's face here. At least the movie wasn't too long, right? Uh, no. 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 Well, no. For, All right, well, we'll get there. It dragged. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get yeah there. but but yes, it was not a two-hour and 20-minute extravaganza, if that's what you're saying. Here's the summary of my best friend's wedding. Childhood friends Julianne Potter, played by Julie Roberts, and Michael O'Neill, played by Dermot Mulroney, had a deal to marry each other if they were still single by age 28. Now, four days before her 28th birthday, O'Neill announces that he's marrying a gorgeous 20-year-old named Kimberly, Kimmy, played by Cameron Diaz. Suddenly realizing she's actually in love with him, Julianne vows to stop the wedding at all costs. However, when she's appointed maid of honor, things get even more complex. 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the critics' consensus says, thanks to a charming performance by Julia Roberts, and a subversive spin on the genre. My Best Friend's Wedding is a refreshingly entertaining romantic comedy. $38 million budget turned into $300 million at the box Good office. God. Oh, she was Ju- Julia Roberts at the time was it. 
She was, yeah. She oh, was she a was cash. movie theater ATM, man. How, yeah. Uh, Julia Roberts, Cameron Diaz, Dermot Mulroney, and some other recognizable. Actually, um, what's his name yeah. from Billions? Um, well, why is his name escaping me? He he played a small role. Paul in this Giamatti movie. is the bell. Paul Giamatti, yeah. and also he's a bellhop. Yeah, yeah, the bellhop, and then uh, the oldest brother Francis from Malcolm in the Middle is also in this as well. Yeah, a couple uh, familiar faces. So we'll start with Judd. What was your key takeaway from my best friend's wedding? Okay, for the first time ever, I'm going to start off a a rom-com or action movie rewind with an apology. Because I I owe some people an apology. In fact, I've got it written down here. First of all, Joe Fox. Joe Fox, (laughs) you've got mail. I apologize. Second of all, Lucy, while you were sleeping, I apologize. Jules Potter makes them all look like absolute saints. She is the devil. She is jealous. She is destructive, Mm -hmm. incredibly destructive. She is conniving. She is clearly a miserable person who will do anything to further her own agenda and and make supposedly her best friend in life's life as miserable as possible at what should be a spontaneous happy moment and bring down poor Kimmy, who's rich but dumb as a box of rocks and is looking for <laughs> guidance in life. Jules Potter is Beelzebub. That's my takeaway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, we could. I don't know. Is is she as bad as Joe? Like Joe Fox. She's Joe, Joe Fox. Joe Fox. Here's why I would disagree. At no point, really, was uh, was Jules trying to hide anything. Like she's she she. I'm in love with you. I mean, she was being conniving, and and there she lied about some certain things, but she eventually came clean. Joe Fox was manipulative. Put, put, he he put what's her name out of business first, and then manipulated her into being in a relationship. I don't but, know, man, but. Jules was this guy's best friend in life. Like Joe Fox. Which Joe, is also like, we'll get into that. That doesn't Joe, add up to me. But. No, but I mean, Joe Joe Fox was a rich guy who was entitled and, you know, if we cut to the chase, trying to get lucky. Uh, Jules is supposedly this guy's best friend and everything she does, like instead of coming clean right away and saying, how can you marry this person? She like beats her on the bush, but she never, she doesn't say, I love you and I, I want to be your wife until way too late. So I... I think, but I mean, everything she does and how she isn't happy for anybody else's success or, or, you know, if Kimmy, when, when she starts to sing, right. And Jules thinks this is great. She's going to fail miserably and I'm going to look good. And she's, and then the, and then of course she's gorgeous. So the people in the bar are like, oh yeah, great, great job. And the look on her face, which is, oh, that, that B word. I can't believe they're cheering for her miserable human being. I think, uh, I think my main takeaway from this movie, I, I've sort of I've one that relates to the movie, and then I've one that's more of like about the actresses involved. This was kind of the passing of the torch from Julia Roberts to Cameron Diaz in movies like this. Hmm. Like Julia Roberts kind of owned the '90s, starting with uh, what was the one from 1990 with Richard Gere, uh, where she's the she's the prostitute or whatever. Oh, and he's yeah. Yeah. Pretty woman, right? Pretty woman. Pretty woman, pretty right? Woman. Legendary pretty woman. Pretty, like yeah. Julia Roberts. And it wasn't like this, you know, 97 wasn't like the end, but it was kind of the peak. Like this is, she was like at her peak superpowers. And Cameron Diaz was on a run with The Mask a couple years earlier. 
and then um and then was it uh there's something about mary America. right yep. it was in this sort of time range where she's great yeah and then she eventually became like one of the top female stars in the world so there's kind of a passing of the torch here and then retired symbolically there's a passing of the torch symbolically and in the movie because it's julie roberts passing the torch to cameron diaz to to be with uh, michael but my yeah. i guess my main in movie takeaway is that i just don't think it's possible or realistic for a heterosexual man and a heterosexual woman to be best friends and not be romantically involved mm. After the age of like twenty five, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Mm, I disagree. Um, I I think it's pretty plausible to be like best friends with chicks at twenty eight. If you are after twenty five, if if you know your boundaries, if you know who you are with one another, if you've never are crossed you both a single? line, yeah, I think it's totally possible. That's when you're both single, uh, yeah, either or. No, no, I, I think in relationships or not. No, I I mean I have four or five chick friends who I consider my best friend. And they're when we're friends and we've never crossed the line. It's never been blurred. They've been in relationships. I've been in relationships. They've helped me out with stuff. I've helped them out with stuff. I, I don't think. I, I'm just saying, I think, I don't think that will be the case in 10 years from now. Okay. Maybe. But. I mean, Judd, do you have any thoughts on this? You're not friends with really anybody. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. No. Yeah. I mean, I. Uh, it's weird. It's a weird concept. And yeah, they're so I, flirty. Like it's super, super. The I would flirtatious struggle. nature of their friendship. I would have struggled. Now I, I got married at 23 so like this was not a, a thing for me but yeah i i would i would struggle i however could leave open the possibility that different people would react differently um but yeah i would i would just off the top of my head totally guessing here think that there would often be some type of emotional romantic attachment but i mean to you know dex is what 27 28 himself and he's probably there right now so um but she was just so into him. That's what was sort of weird about it to me. Here, I guess if I could add one more point to this. And I got a point about that later on. One of the two will always have feelings for the other one that go beyond friendship. And they're just suppressing those thoughts. I mean, I, I don't I don't I disagree. Like I, I've had like even last night I went out with a, a friend of mine, a girl. You're but you're basically like you're not. I know that I know that there, there's a gray area for you right now, <laughs> but but you're not like. You're not in an advanced, like, long-term relationship right now. For sure. And I think the dy- it, it becomes a weirder dynamic. All right, but, but even even when I was dating someone for a very long time, and she was friends with, too, with one of my best college friends, who I'm still best friends with today, when I was in a long-term relationship, there was never a weird thing there between those two. There's never weird. I never felt uncomfortable. She never felt uncomfortable. Both of them didn't. I, don't, I, don't th- I think it's completely possible to be best friends with a woman in, in to your late life. I will say this, Declan, if the gray area in your life currently advances, I'll be curious to see how the gray person takes your friendship with these people. I agree. Because, <laughs> because she's from the outside. Okay. Like, like, you're, like you're talking about college friends that sort yes. of intermingled. People who come from the outside is a but like key when distinction you, here. Yeah, when you, when you plop a transplanted person into <laughs> it from, from the opposite sex, I'm going to tell you right now, I think there might be objections. Right. They're going to do, do an audit. Of the people but, in your life, but without which they should without getting too much into this gray area, making oh, this just sorry. a Declan relationship <laughs> podcast. The the, the person in the gray area was introduced to me from my girlfriends. That's how I met her. So it wasn't mm. just like some random situation, okay. and now she's like involved with all my like okay. my girlfriends introduced okay. us together. 
So like that's how that works. So I I do think that, it's completely that, that, and that's yeah and that that's how it would work then. So right. they're but they're already friends. They're they yeah. they, they yeah. so that that's almost like the that's the asterisk here. I think right. Okay. The, the point that I made. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Phil, there's a point that you that you are touching on right now that I want to get to as we um, go through this because there's a very key point of something that to me is totally implausible that they kept trying to sell throughout the yeah. course of this film. I love it. A tease, a tease for later <laughs> well, in the episode. I don't want to burn it now because no, it, it's, it's an important part of the, of what I saw. And by the way, I saw this in the theater originally <laughs> and I thought, and I thought I it was 12. much cuter. I thought it was much cuter when I yeah, shut up. <laughs> I thought it was much cuter when I saw it originally than I did upon a hard review of it. Okay. Dex, what was your main takeaway here? This movie infuriates me. <laughs> I, yeah, I could can't yes, I could see this. stand either of these two. They both mm-hmm. are clearly in love with one with, with each other. They're torturing each other with both of their relationships. Poor talking, can't, when you say both, are you talking about the women or are you talking about Michael and Jules? I, I'm talking about Michael and Jules. They're torturing yeah, okay. each other. Poor Cameron Diaz is caught in the middle of this. The scene of them on the boat in Chicago. Are they in Chicago? Is that where this is, right? Oh, yeah. Chicago? Very, yeah. Chica- very Chicago. Very movie. Chicago movie. The 90s. The 90s. Very that Chicago. That scene on the boat made me want to jump out of my apartment window. I was yeah. so frustrated watching this entire film. Like, I would rather, I'd rather deal with incompetent, unconf- excuse me, unconfident Kirk from She's Out of My League than deal with two people who are clearly horrible for horribly manipulative with one another. And I, I can't like, I can't stand them. This scene specifically. I got to tell you when you, when you told me that you were marrying George, I, uh, I got this really strange, um, (laughs) you were jealous, crazy jealous. I'm sorry. Can we maybe spend some time alone this afternoon? What? What? That'd be all right. She has had trepidations about, wait, what? Like, you're getting married in, in five days, like, I, and I'm still in love with you. And then he's like, the day before the wedding, let's spend yeah. time alone with one another and hash out our feelings? Preach, what the preach, hell? Dex. This, these preach. two are exactly terrible. Right. These two are terrible individuals, dude. Can't stand I it. almost... And to Declan's point, you almost get the feeling, although this doesn't really come out in the course of the film, but you almost get the underlying feeling that Kimmy is almost uh, his sword of of how he's like trying to make Jules jealous. Mm-hmm. No, it's yeah, the whole thing. So and there's more I'm here to unpack. Act. I'm going to save a couple things for a future category here in a few minutes, but there's a lot to unpack. Let's go to uh, your favorite part. Because I have a feeling we we have a lot that we're going to complain about here, so let's we'll, we'll we'll go favorite part Judd Zolgad, and then we'll get to some of the the stuff that just doesn't add up. So for the most part, I'm Team Declan here. In a lot of these characters were deplorable, and I didn't like them. But my favorite part, my favorite part, and I thought this character was fantastic. He was comic relief. He was plausible. He was funny. Rupert Everett as Jules' friend George her gay friend who who comes into town and they try and sell us. This is my fiance and I'm going to get married too. Um, his scenes are fantastic. The, uh, the part where, where he, he starts uh, doing the, doing the, 
I say a little prayer for you song, which is a, I, which, which is an iconic scene, Declan. Yeah. That was a big time iconic scene. People love that scene. Um, it's like but, a musical within the uh, rom-com. Yeah. And you know what? I liked it too. <laughs> you know, I feel like musicals. But, but I thought that his scenes were great, well acted, believable. And I also like this in this film. George is the only character who gives Jules what she deserves. Mm-hmm. He's honest. He's He likes her, but he's got some contempt for her because he knows what she's doing is wrong. Um, he's a great character. So that my favorite part was was his scenes. And I actually wish that, that he had had more scenes because he prov- he provided at least a pushback to her that through almost the entire course of the film, she didn't have. And if any character in a film has deserved their comeuppance, it was Jules. Yeah. Um, yeah. My favorite, I think my favorite part of this movie was the fact that we had another great little, little yep. sports hook in a rom-com. Yep. You know, we've had the NBA finals in, how to lose a guy in ten days. We've had we've had a lot of sports injected into these rom coms, and in this movie, um, Kimmy's dad is the owner of the Chicago White Sox. So, what would that have made Kimmy's dad in real life? Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf. In fact, right? it, in fact, it was ripped off de- definitely because he also owned the cable company, and I think Reinsdorf was heavily involved in Cablevision at one time or something like that. Okay. Or Sports Channel. So yes. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, sports channel and, and is back he, in the nineties. Is he a scout? Is he a writer? No, he's a he's a sports writer. Okay, that's why I thought. He's a, yeah, which Michael, Michael's a sports writer. Yeah. Which I've got a complaint about, but yeah. I digress yeah. one. So um I believe so this movie came out in nineteen ninety seven, and usually these scenes are filmed like the year before, right? So I looked at the schedule, the nineteen ninety six White Sox, they hosted <laughs> the they they were playing the Rangers. They didn't really show a close up, but at one point they showed on the on the it was a red uniformed or like a red hat team, and so there was no interleague play. So it was either the Angels or the Rangers at that time in the nineties. It was the Rangers, I think. I and on the scoreboard, Dean Palmer was at bat at one point, prominent nineties Rangers player in nineteen ninety six. But this was about the ninety six White Sox. So uh, I've got Baseball Reference open right now. Can you guys tell me anything about the nineteen ninety six White Sox? Yeah, Frank. Declan was just a. Yeah. Conversation over drinks, basically. Uh, yeah, it was like three and a half. I was in diapies. Um, Managed Thomas. by Terry Terry Bevington was the manager. Yeah. Of this team. Oh wow! Um, I, I actually saw some players. So the the secondary scene where they, I think there's three scenes at Comiskey. There's the there's the party where they've got the suite. There's a second scene where they're in left field talking, I think, and then the the, the third is in the uh, back then Comiskey Park bathroom, mm-hmm. and you could see the White Sox get to the end of an inning in the second time they're in Comiskey. Tony, Tony, Tony Phillips. Phillips is in left field. I'm almost positive that's Ozzie Gian jogging off it the is. field from shortstop. Oh, funny. Yes. Ozzie, Ozzie Gian was the starting shortstop. <laughs> this, this, this lineup is full of names that you know. This borders the, the on, White this Sox. borders on like the Carlton Fisk age, I believe. I uh, think was, he was this gone a by a little then. after then. I'll just go through the lineup here. Uh, so that team finished 85 and 77, finished second in the American League Central behind. I believe Cleveland was right. the was the runner of that division then. It was. Ron Karkovice was the catcher. Yep. Kark, Karkle. Frank Thomas hit 40 bombs and had an OPS of almost 1,100 that year. <laughs> Ray Durham was the second nice. baseman. Good young second baseman. Stole 30 bases that year. For is Joe Creedy a third by this point? No, this no is way. way before Joe Creedy. Okay. Yeah. This is Robin Ventura territory. Oh, Robin yeah. Ventura. That's right. <clears throat> Ventura in his prime. Yeah, Creedy was like 
2005, six kind yeah. of. It's like he was like ten years. Oh, was later. he that like God? Okay. Um, Tony Phillips, thirty-seven-year-old Tony Phillips, who by the way had a four hundred four on base percentage that year as a thirty-seven-year-old. And if you look at that dude's numbers, he clearly discovered something that helped his performance in like the early nineteen nineties with the Tigers when he was thirty-two or thirty-three, and he carried his career until the age of forty. So uh, good for Tony Phillips for going under the radar during a questionable era of Tony, performance enhancers. Tony Phillips was the Tigers, the White Sox, and the A's, right? Yeah, mostly A's in the 80s. Then he went to the Tigers when he was in his early 30s. If I'm not White mistaken, Sox, too, back to the A's. He, he was a very uh, Swiss Army Knife multi-positional guy. Oh, yeah, all over Second, the Second, left, yep. maybe some short. Darren Lewis played center field for the White Sox. Danny Tartable was the right fielder, and Harold Baines was the designated hitter. They also had guys like Chris Snowpeck, Norberto Martin, and uh, Mike, a young Mike Cameron had a couple at-bats for this team. Oh, really? Nice. Oh, I didn't know that. Nice. On funny. the pitching side, Alex Fernandez, Kevin Tappany made 34 starts Hey-o. for the White Sox in 96. Oh, yeah. Wilson Alvarez, James Baldwin were the four main starters, and they spot-started that fifth spot. And uh, Roberto Hernandez was yes. their closer with he 38 had, saves. He could bring it. So there's your 96 White Sox. Wow. I think that was my favorite part of this movie was the 96 White Sox. Wow. That is an ugly ballpark, though. They did not do a good job with that ballpark. Yeah, it was kind of one of the, it was, it was like the early the last 90s one before had, Camden. Yeah. It, it opened, Camden opened in 92. This one opened in 91. And the architects, the saddest thing is the architects offered Reinsdorf and the White Sox the opportunity to build the old Comiskey, basically just new spruced up. And they're like, no, 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 build a new ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> And then the next year, they started with Camden. They're like, that was a mistake. Yeah. No, there's no character. There's just no, I mean, no. Wrigley has more character. It's been around for hundred years. They've redone years. some stuff. Uh, at, at one point in time, I know when it opened, I read that the top of the light towers in the old Comiskey were lower than the highest seat in the new Comiskey. Wow. So like you were as high and it was, uh, it was way, it just didn't work. Uh, Dex, your favorite part about my best friend's wedding? Uh, a few things. Yeah, the baseball. Nice that baseball was involved. Um, I, I was actually really excited when Cameron Diaz was running away when they saw them kiss because I thought that meant she was running away from both these terrible individuals. Turns yeah, well, out she should have. She should have. She one hundred percent should have. Um, yeah, I just had like more court, like more little nitpicky fun things that I noticed from this movie because I didn't like it a lot. But uh, I love that Julia Roberts just openly walks around smoking cigarettes wherever she wants. I just I, I think I enjoy that's a that. thing in a lot of her movies. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely she's a clearly smoker a smoker in, in her movies. And and Paul Giamatti's brief little cameo as the bellman is was fantastic. Um, I thought that was awesome. So, so th- those were honestly my favorite parts of this movie. Just yeah. tiny little fun, small little scenes because everything else made me want to jump out the window. All right, let's uh, let's get into some of the the real nitty gritty here, Judd. Your least favorite part about this movie? All right. So I'm going to go through this, but this is going to get to my grand point about this film and the writing of this film. Okay, so here's one scene in particular. But to me, this sort of summarizes the whole film. So Jules tells Michael what she thought Lucy would want from him. And then when she orchestrated it, so Lucy's dad agreed to offer Michael a corporate job so he wouldn't have to travel so much and cover games. Michael was mad at Lucy for do- doing that and didn't see through the fact that just a scene earlier, it was Jules who said, Lucy's going to want this. So like Jules is trying to manipulate this whole thing through both of them. 
that gets to my grand point. And it's true of Lucy and it's true of Michael. And I don't know, this might be plausible when it comes to Cameron Diaz's character, but with Michael's character, it's not. How clueless is this guy? How dumb is he? If somebody came, if, if, if your girlfriend or fiance came to you and said, you know, Phil, I think you should give up the sports talk side of this. Just do the corporate job. I think you should do that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, I, I, I love the sports talk side. I mean, I still do, do this basically because I love, you know, I love doing the show. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you, you know, your boss calls and says, you know, Phil, I'm thinking you should just take the corporate job. And would you not put the pieces of the puzzle together and say someone got to this guy, namely the person who just suggested to me the same exact thing? Like Michael's character is so oblivious and stupid for somebody who's not supposed to be stupid. He, yeah, I would it's say not he, plausible. He definitely lacks awareness. Like, and then there's that one scene where him and Jules are just like staring in each other's eyes at that restaurant or the bar or whatever, and they're talking about Paris or like somewhere in Europe. And his fiance Kimmy is try- trying to chime in. And basically, like, why are you guys looking at each other like that? You know, right. Like, have some awareness, man. Like, this is your future wife that you're sitting next to. And you're, I don't know. And here's the thing. I give women way more credit. No matter how dumb Kimmy is. Like, let's say her character is just not smart, which she clearly came off as not being smart. Women have an instinct. Like, if, if Phil, if, or Dex, if you had a, well, in Phil's case, a wife, he does. And in. In Dex's case, let, let's say the gray area turns into a real relationship. <laughs> the gray area. Let's say that, okay? I love it. <laughs> but and, but and time and time after time, a girl who you considered a friend was like glumming on to you and saying stuff like we're talking about. No matter how dumb they might be about a lot of things, they would have a sixth sense to be like, okay. Like this is weird. We're gonna try and eliminate this issue. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna not hang out with that person anymore. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. My my least favorite part about this movie is kind of in line with what you're saying, but this relationship between Michael and Kimmy makes zero sense unless the only way it makes sense is if he as a sports writer this would be a complete conflict of interest, but if he's trying to get in tight with White Sox ownership for scoops or for a job of some kind. <laughs> Why would a why would a twenty eight year old who by the way like he's a good looking dude he's he's clearly like I don't know if he's a columnist or a so, beat writer but like this dude is a sports writer in the heyday of sports writing in the third biggest city in America and he's a good looking dude he probably makes decent money right like and he's and he's bumming around with juniors in college it's kind of creepy like it only makes yeah, sense yeah it only makes sense if he's doing it for to further his career. In my opinion, he must be a columnist, though, because they're talking about he's going to go cover the Bulls and now he's covering the White Sox. And then yeah. he's like, but but he's doing a, a a big takeout piece on the big hurt. I figured it out. He's Jeff Passan. <laughs> this is this is this is a prequel to Jeff Passan. This is Jeff Passan's life. I, I Jeff hope, Passan's I hope Jeff Passan now an insider. <laughs> been stringing along women like this, though. I just I, I, I think less of them. Yeah, but like also think about okay, so he's inexplicably with a junior in college who's yeah. twenty years old, and it's just kind of a weird like an eight year age gap later in life is not that big of a deal if you're if you're thirty and they're thirty eight. Like all right, twenty and twenty eight is a is a that's a gap Grand Canyon apart in Correct. terms of life experience. Um, and so he's in terms of his lack of awareness, she's insecure, Kimmy. That is, she's mm-hmm. young. 
And he's inviting this woman that he's been in love with and has clearly talked about with Kimmy, as she mentions, for almost – well, not a, they haven't been together for a decade because she would have been 10. But like that he's talked about before, invites her to the wedding without having ever met Kimmy before. Like the whole thing is just like – also, how do you even meet a 20-year-old? Or let's let's say they met like a year or two earlier. So he was 26 or 27, and she would have been 18 or 19. Like, where, like, where is he hanging out? Did, did, <laughs> did the owner of the White Sox introduce him to his daughter? Like, did we ever uh, get, get the story? Though, didn't you get the impression, though, that they had, like, almost just met? Like, that this, because the, the whole thing is so rushed. Yeah. He's like, we're getting married this weekend. I, I took the storyline, and I, I guess they didn't say this, but I took it to be like they had met, like, a year before or something but yeah you're right like where would they meet like at a, a college basketball game he was covering because that'd be sort of weird choosing the student section also if he's a columnist okay or if he's covering the white Sox in any meaningful way okay the year mm-hmm. before 1995 for instance the white Sox underachieved they were like 13 games under 500 so was he lobbing softballs in the newspaper covering for a bad baseball team in this case and that's how he got in tight with ownership well, i just i need to know more happen. Is he, yeah, is he, is he defending the team when they deserve to be ripped and now he's in tight with ownership? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Super weird. So the whole, the, the whole relationship that it would have been more realistic if instead, like there was no reason for Kimmy to be 20. Couldn't she have just been like 23? I, yeah, yeah. I Why did she have to be 20? And Cameron Diaz in real life at that point was how old? Not 20. Cause Not, she had no. been in the mask. Yeah. She no. played a much, she played an she older played woman 25. in the mask. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Definitely. That's really good. I like it. My least favorite part, uh, yeah, their relationship. I, I hate I hate them. I literally despise them. <laughs> I, I, I can't stand this. And look, th- there's always been um, to the point of like, there's that one person that you have a tough time letting go of maybe. But like, you, I, like in my instance, when I was just saying like being friends with women, like I, I was never friends with them. There was there was lines blurred at the beginning. So there wasn't a friendship at start. Like lines got blurred early. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. What are we? What are we doing here? Blah, blah, blah. These two were like clearly childhood best friends. And then they made this, you know, hilarious pact. But then clearly, you know, they they then they started blurring the lines after the fact they became friends at some point in their relationship timeline. We don't know when that really started. And they were just in love with each other. And then I I just the chemistry is there. I guess like there is chemistry between the two because they both clearly like each other. But just the way they strung other people along and just like tortured themselves infuriates me it literally made me so angry so it, just those two in general are my least favorite part of this whole film <laughs> yeah the whole like i know it, it, it i don't know if it, if it's from movies in the 90s but it, i think it was a theme a couple times where if we're okay if we're not married by this age then we're gonna be together and i remember that being a topic of conversation throughout like late 90s early 2000s when i was in school too if you had a, a friend like i had a neighbor who lived behind our uh, our farm in Corcoran, and we were friends starting in fourth grade, and it's like we were best friends. And if we if if we don't have someone by the time we're thirty, it's like you know the last time I talked to her ten years ago. Like it's just it's such a I don't know. I think that was a very nineties weird yeah. movie theme, or maybe it goes back before then. But um, all right, let's get to least believable here. Least believable part of this movie, Judd. Oh, so we go on and on. So here's my least believable, which falls in which falls in line with my least favorite but is slightly different so at the train station where where michael and jules finally wind up and she has now nearly cost him his job because because her email was what accidentally sent 
She tried not to send it, but nonetheless, she has basically come very close to costing him his his job, sabotaging his career, his relationship, and in the end, it's okay. In fact, I believe... I believe that Michael says at some point in time during that whole exchange, you did me a favor or something like she has done everything to make this guy's life miserable. And supposedly he loves Kimmy. So, and, and she's tried to destroy her life too. And the writers like, I think, cause they thought, Oh, it's hilarious how she's doing all these things. And it's featuring Julia Roberts and people will like her. So like, you know, she's, she's stolen a bread truck. Isn't that funny? Racing around Chicago after all of this though, they came to the conclusion, well, we got to somehow get these people back on the same page. And so again, I ask you, if you're the character, if you're the actor playing Michael, wouldn't you have said, can't we do a little bit better than this? Like, can't we have, can't we make him not know. look like such an idiot? I don't know if idiot? he had that pull yet in 1990. Well, he might not have, but seven, anyway, man. that to me is the least believable that after all of this crap that they're just like, okay, it's cool now. I think, I think to me, the least believable part is that Julia Roberts not only still winds up in the wedding, but also still winds up giving a speech at the reception. Yes. So she's caused all this turmoil too. personally, professionally, wouldn't it, and by the way, the day before the wedding, or maybe the day of the wedding, she's like trying to make out with Michael in the yes. gazebo and express. She's expressing her love to Michael and literally trying to drive a wedge through this relationship. Yep. And a day later, she's still welcome to the wedding, still chooses to attend the wedding. I think it's the same day, and then think, gives yeah. a speech at I, the I, wedding. I think it's all this happens right. on the same day. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. How do you let her give a speech at the wedding? And if you're her in that spot, wouldn't you just be like, listen? First of all, I'm not going to go, all right? I'm just, like, I'm out. You got enough. You got these other women here, uh, which you've known for more than two days that could easily step up and just, do you not have any friends, too? You're 20 years old in college. She claims And your dad's no the owner of the White Sox. I know. she just doesn't have any friends or anybody? I know. The whole thing, like, why is Julia I mean, Roberts still at the wedding? It doesn't make sense. That's the scene at the train station, because that's where it starts, where you would think that he he would say, leave. I want nothing to do with you. Goodbye. I will never see you again. And by the way, too. So Kimmy's dad is obviously beyond rich. At some point in time, where are the adults to put their foot down? It is weird. Yeah. Like if you're Kimmy's dad, weird. you'd be like, no, no, we're not doing it this way. Yeah. Kimmy. Yeah, who's this rando that just showed up yesterday that's smoking heaters in the hallway and she's your maid of honor? What? Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. The red flags would just be going off all like over the place. Like the parents are just like, I, I, like you can't have a dad that rich and, and he's just like, okay, whatever makes you happy, honey. Yeah. Uh, Dex, least believable for you. Um, yeah, just when Julia Roberts basically goes up to him and says, don't marry him. You know, like, I, actually, I, I had the clip. Michael, I love you. I've loved you for nine years. I've just been too arrogant and scared to realize it. Definitely well, arrogant. Now I'm just scared. So I, I, I realize this comes at a very inopportune time, but I really have this gigantic favor to ask of you. Choose me. Marry me. Let me make you happy. <laughs> that sounds like three favors, doesn't it? Just just a couple things. Does the, you know, the whole speak now or forever hold your peace. Does that actually ever happen? Like, I, I swear to God, that's just like a dramatized thing. And they just say it for S and giggles at a wedding. 
And Uncle Bob gets up. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about this. And then, and then just the way she does that. And then the second part of the least believable uh, scene is the fact. So Kimmy sees this happen. She runs away, and she's just hiding in a urinal at a ballpark on the day of her. That's that's your safe haven. That's where you ran away to. And, what? And, and and by the way, Julie Roberts found her. Yeah. What? How the hell well, did this she- happen? Well, she found her because the the person at the house said, yeah, she goes to Comiskey, but she goes to the ballpark when she's down or depressed. Yeah, but or there's something. like a million bathrooms in that ballpark. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, but but that's how the writers got her to find her, which, yes. is. And they clearly fun. weren't. They weren't on the not suite good. level because that was like there's there a million well, people in that and, bathroom. So and wouldn't you be in the suite if your dad owned? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I actually an, another honorable mention for either least favorite or least believable. The early scene where they pick Julia Roberts up from the airport and they're in that convertible. And oh, yeah. Kim, first of all, <laughs> the fact that Kimmy is driving um, right a hundred plus miles an hour and weaving in and out of traffic, and Michael's just sitting in the back seat, calm as a cucumber. Are you kidding me? That gave me anxiety yeah, was watching it on the couch. That was like, uncomfortable. And he's just chilling back there. Yeah, this is my gal. She's twenty. She drives one hundred fifty miles an hour on the freeway, weaves in and out of traffic. Like, but he isn't. He's a moron, though. He's an idiot. <laughs> like, he's one of the most stupid people I've ever come across in a movie. Dude has a death wish. Um, the soundtrack is incredible for this movie. If you love old school soul, you know, sixties, seventies, say a little prayer, wishing and hoping. Um, what the world needs now is love. I'll never fall in love again. The way you look tonight, Tony Bennett. This is just a, th- this soundtrack. In fact, was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, it's good. The following it's year, it's the best part of the film. Yeah, just uh, one hit after another. Any other thoughts here before we get into the two main oh, ranking categories? I've got a cheesiest part for you. Okay. So the cheesiest part. Think about this for a second. So Jules has wrought destruction over this relationship from the day that she touched down from New York to Chicago, right? And at the end, at the wedding, they use, think about this for a second. They use Michael and Jewel's song for their first dance. And everyone's okay with it. Yep. And again, Kimmy's oblivious, oblivious to this. Like, at some point in time, didn't you take some notes on what's going on here, Mm. Kimmy? Didn't you? I mean, the first, and, and she's like, you can borrow this one until you have your own. Um, I will say this though, okay. And Phil, Phil, you saw, saw this originally at twelve, yeah. So you might you might agree, um, since you were certainly aware when you saw this film of what they were doing. The difference with this film at that time, and this is the one thing where I think they thought all of the warts would disappear, and clearly from the box office take, they sort of did. Julia Roberts was so loved and so liked, and such a popular actress that she could basically be the devil and get away with it. And at the time, no one objected. Like we're, we're looking at this 20 plus years after the fact. So now it appears really bad. And she's played different characters and been mean as a snake in different films. So we've seen that that sort of resembles this film. But my point is back then, Phil, if you recall, she was so big and so beloved that I think they thought, and I, and they turned out to be right. The audience would forgive it at the time. Yeah, she had a man. She had a run there. Even in the early '90s, so she was in Pretty Huge. Woman. She was in Flatliners, Sleeping with the Enemy. She played Tinkerbell in Hook in 1991. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
um, The Pelican Brief in which 1993. I, which is fantastic. I love that film. And then My Best Friend's Wet. I'm skipping some here. but And then she was in Stepmom the next year. Which was a harsh role. Notting Hill, Runaway Bride, Aaron Brockovich, yep. The Mexican, Ocean's Eleven. Like, boom, 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 the next she four wa- years. She was... God, at the Ocean's time, Eleven is 20 years old now? What? America's Sweetheart. What? She was America's Sweetheart, and I think they knew however they packaged her up, people would buy it. Yeah. And now yeah. it looks really bad because she's, as Dex said, deplorable. Mm. All right, let's get to the to the main rankings here, boys. We do one through ten scores for definitive relationship rankings to start with here. And we're just looking for on-screen chemistry between the two mains here and we're gonna we're gonna go michael and jules yes those are the mains here even yes. though they're not the ones that got married so michael and jules yes my best friend's wedding to this point hitch and sarah from hitch 8.8 that's the best couple that we have scored so far joe fox and kathleen kelly and you got mail 8.3 tied with benjamin barry and andy anderson how to lose a guy in 10 days at an 8.3 lucy and jack from while you were sleeping a seven Ben and Lindsay from Fever Pitch, a 6.7. Melanie and Redneck Jake from Sweet Home Alabama, a 6.2. And then uh, all the way down at 3.3, Sam and Annie from Sleepless. And then Kirk and Molly from She's Out of My League at a 3. So we'll start with Judd. What's your 1 through 10 score for Michael and Jules? There's nothing redeeming about this relationship, in my opinion. Like, there's nothing positive about it. They're, they're at best, using each other. At worst, she's just a really bad person, and he's a blithering idiot. I'm giving them a two. Wow, dude! I Amazing. considered a one. I, I just, I the the chemistry to me because it's just so dysfunctional. Um, and I also don't buy how his character was written at all. Interesting. All right, Declan. Yeah, it's a it's a one for me. What? It's a one. What? I hate. I it's it's kind of conflicting. Because there is clearly a connection between the two. But but the way they carry themselves and the way they use each other makes me hate them. So, like, I have a, I have a tough time buying into the real chemistry because they, they are manipulating each other and other people. So, like, who do they really love? Who do they really like? So, for me, it's a one. I can't stand them. I'd ra- like, again, I'd rather deal, and I know She's Out of League is one of my favorite movies, but... I'd rather deal with unconfidence instead of just manipulation. And these two are terrible manipulators so it's a one. Oh man um i'm now i'm i'm now i'm sort of rethinking the way so this is an iconic on-screen relationship yeah you know, this is this is when you think of rom-com relationships you think of this one but the more you guys talk about it it was based on lies it was based on insecurity very unhealthy and i'd love to see a sequel Clearly, I think Michael and Kimmy are not going to last. And well, they're done by now. Yeah, I'd love to know what happens, but it all kind of feels like a house of cards here between a bunch of insecure, codependent people. So I'm going to give it a five. I was going to give it a seven. I'm going to go five. I'm not as down on on it as you guys seven. are, and that makes it a two point seven, a two point seven, which is the lowest graded score of any of the rom com on screen couples that we've had. Um, now for the overall entertainment value of the movie hitch nine, how to lose a guy in 10 days, 8.8. You've got mail 7.7 while you were sleeping, 7.3 sleepless, 7.2 fever pitch, 6.3. She's out of my league. 6.2 sweet home, Alabama, a six Judd. I'm going to give it a six. Okay. 
Um, I didn't hate the film. I didn't like the characters. At the time that I saw it originally, I liked it. Uh, this time I saw a lot more flaws as I took more notes. And, you know, it's a long time now since Julia Roberts has been as big as she was back then. Uh, but there were parts I did like. I'm going to give it a six. That's six. For me, uh, it's... I I I just I despise them so much. It it it, it had a, I had a hard time getting into the movie and and enjoying the movie. Like I don't know how to watch this again because I think I'd be so incredibly frustrated. Um, so for me, it's a three. I'm I'm not gonna say it's a one or a two because like it, a one or a two would imply it's like one of the worst films and I, and it has, it has good actors in it and stuff. And so for me, it's a three. It's a three out of ten. Um, I so I. This movie doesn't hold up like I thought. I legitimately thought when I'm recalling, oh, what am I going to think of this movie? I thought this might be a 10. This might be a 10 when I was recalling it. After watching it, it's fine. It's a 7 for me. I, I can watch all three of these characters. Just I love all three of these actors. So I can watch Cameron Diaz movies all the time. I just I just I think she's entertaining. So um, I'm going to say it's a it's a 7 for me, which makes it a 5.3 overall. The worst graded movie that we have done in Rom-Com Rewind so far. So there it is. Yeah, it doesn't quite hold up to the. What did last right. week's get? <clears throat> what did she out of my league? She's out of my league at a six point two, third third from the bottom now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So all right. Um, you guys want to keep going on the rom com rewind trail here? We got other movies we could do, or do you want to get back on a different trail? So my thought process is because this movie, similar to Beverly Hills Cop two, it's put a bad taste in my mouth, and I think we need <laughs> to gotta, pivot for pivot. a little bit. I, th- I that's my that's my I'm, take. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. So do, do you want to pivot? Do you want to pivot to action, or do you want to pivot to sports? Mm. Let's go back to sports for yeah. One. Let's let's do sports. We haven't yeah. Let's do sports. It's been a while. It's been a, been about yeah. three yeah. months or so since yeah. we've been a sports movie. Let's yeah, do sports. sports. All right. So uh, here's the the list of movies that we at least had. Uh, we've only done four, by the way. We did Little Big League, Major League, Mighty Ducks, and Draft Day. And <laughs> did we do Kickboxer? Yes. Yes, we yeah. did. Right? Because yeah. that's the one where his brother My gets league. paralyzed. Oh, we might have put that. You know what? That's we an did kickboxer movie. for action movie rewind. That's yeah. what it was. Okay. Um, so the ones I have written down here, and I only have four written down. So if there's other ones that would be fun to review, I've got mm-hmm. the Sandlot, I've got Tin Cup, Mighty Ducks Two, Summer Catch, oh. which is kind of a rom com, yeah, sports movie hybrid. I want to see some. I if there's seen other it. sports movies that you think we should. What was the first one you said? Angels in the Outfield. Oh. What about that one? The first the, one I said? The original or the Danny Glover remake? Um, yes, the Danny what, Glover remake. What, what's the first one you said? I said The Sandlot. The Sandlot. Um, I'll say this for The Sandlot. It borders on almost being too good. Yeah. Like, I love it, but it borders on almost being too good for our purposes. I agree with it's, Judd. It's probably Here's a, a couple other ideas, all right? Rookie of the Year, where the kid gets a, the kid gets a bionic arm and plays for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Gary, Gary Busey is yeah. the co-lead in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rookie of the Year would be one. Rudy is based on a true story, but I, I do have Rudy on okay. the list here as well. Um, Happy Gilmore. Some of these are like comedies. Any Given Sunday? Which one is? I remember the football movie with Al Pacino and Jamie, Jamie Foxx as the quarterback. Well, that might be bad. That might be good. That might be the one. <laughs> yes, the, it might be. And by bad, I mean right. it might be good. That, I believe Lawrence Taylor is also in that movie. That or like the like, do we have the re, the replacements on the list? That was yeah. on last night. Oh, last yeah, night. it's always on. It's, it's always, always on, on TV. It's always on. 
And any um, given Sunday? Should we do that one? I haven't seen it. Let's do any given Sunday. All right. I haven't seen it. There's a scene. I'll say this. There's a scene in any given Sunday that is wildly uncomfortable. So, all right. Any given Sunday. Pacino. Right. Late yep. Pacino yelling, just <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs. You'll regret this. You'll regret this move. <laughs> all right. That's a, that's a wrap on the Mackie and Judd movie review franchise rom-com rewind today. Thanks for hanging out with us. See you guys next week for uh, any given Sunday. Michael trusted you, so I trusted you. You wanted to keep me close. You didn't trust me for a second. I was right. Well, of course you were right, but that's not my fault. You kissed him at my parents' house on my wedding day. Tramp. Shut up. Now, I love this man, and there is no way that I'm going to give him up to some two-faced, big-haired food critic. Tried to steal him. I lost. He doesn't love me. He loves you.